0: If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with MyBookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited time welcome bonus today. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another
1: edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler and back with me today to recap another stellar recruiting cycle for our Georgia Bulldogs is my co host, Curtis. And seriously, what an incredible job by Kirby Smart and the rest of our staff. And I want to start there. I want to first just applaud everyone involved in making this class possible, not just the on-field coaches, certainly those guys. They put a lot of effort into this, but it's more than just that. The recruiting staff, the support staff, the academic staff administrators, people inside the athletic department, even old Greg McGarrity loosen up the, the purse strings to let us spend three and a half plus million dollars on recruiting this cycle. And really just everyone else involved in this recruiting process, they all worked their tails off for two plus years on this class. And let's be real guys, I, I I know most of you guys get this, but just in case you don't, it's not like the 2019 cycle ended last February and then we were like, okay, now let's look for the 2020 class for the very first time. No, we've been building relationships with these guys and put in the legwork for years. So two plus years of work that resulted in yet another number one ranked recruiting class. Another group of players that will take us one step closer to that elusive first national title since the 1980 season. Something that I know that all of you out there and certainly including myself so desperately want. This class certainly brings us a step closer to that goal. And, and I know guys like Curtis and I, and a lot of you, most of you out there who follow recruiting as closely as we do, you understand this. But I, I really don't think the average fan has any conception of just how much effort, how many resources, how much time is invested in the recruiting process between recruiting staff meetings, planning the whole recruiting effort, visits to high schools across the country, in-home visits, on-campus visits, unofficial and official visits, camps that that the coaches put on daily calls and texts to multiple prospects and their families too it's not just the prospects themselves if you factor all that in i think a strong argument could be made that college assistant coaches spend more time recruiting than they do actually doing on-field coaching stuff. I, I think you can really make that argument. Now, there are a few dead periods, more than there used to be throughout the year, but most weekends, even during the offseason, coaches are hosting loads of unofficial visitors, some that we never, ever know about. And once we get into the fall and the early winter months, there are official visits every single week that your team is in town. It's it's a ton of work, a ton of work, a ton of time away from your family, a ton of time on the road, the grind of the road, a ton of frustration dealing with the whims of 17, 18-year-old kids After you put so much effort into recruiting these guys. It really is awesome to see it Get paid off so handsomely for the staff like it has over the past couple of seasons. That's really awesome to see. But uh when the dust finally settled on this class, we did again indeed end up with a top-ranked class on both the 247 composite and rivals.com. ESPN, in all their infinite wisdom, had us at number two behind Clemson. But at least as far as I'm concerned, guys, and maybe this is just me, their rankings are essentially irrelevant because they just dedicate so few resources to covering recruiting and and are really just clueless on every prospect out there, but maybe the top guys in the class. Uh, But as you guys know, here on this show, we defer to the 247 composite because we find it to be the most accurate look at each of these prospects because it takes into account the rankings of all the major recruiting services so, so if there's an outlier they kind of get brought back down to earth when they all kind of get averaged out there so for the second time in three years on the 247 composite and for the third straight recruiting cycle on rivals we have finished with the number one ranked recruiting class. That's so incredible to say. Um, That will never get old. I hope we keep on building class after class after class like that. And and I I think we will. And we said this when Kirby first got the job. Like that 2018 class, that was a great class. That was awesome. But that was a starting point. To really become the program that we wanted to become, we had to stack classes like that on top of each other. Class after class after class. And that is exactly what Kirby Smart and Company are doing right now—they are really recruiting at an unprecedented level for our program. All right, well, we've got a ton to talk about today, so I'm going to go ahead and bring Curtis in here for part one of our 2020 signing day recap. And Kurt, we're going to start with some kind of like big picture questions, and we'll get into some more of the uh, specific prospects a little bit later on in the show. But let's start here. This was—if you look at the prospects that we actually signed, the 25 guys that we've got signed, sealed, and delivered. This was an offensive-heavy class with 17 of the 25 prospects, at least slated to start on the offensive side of the ball. Of course, there could be some position changes. Cameron Candy, the guy that we signed late on Wednesday, is one of those guys that probably going to start on the offensive line but could play defensive line. But 17-25, slated to start on the offensive side of the ball. So what do you think played into that? Why
0: did we go so heavy on the offensive side of the ball with this class? Um, I think it's as simple as the fact that we just didn't have – a I think that the coaches realized some of our deficiencies, especially this last year, were offensively. And at the same time, I don't know how many openings there were defensively. I mean, I think if, uh, especially if there had been spots there for the defense, it would have happened, but there just wasn't that many spots available. It felt like um, spots were tight. We had a lot of young guys the last two years, and I think that's why you saw more so this year.
1: Yeah, I think, honestly, more than anything, it it was needs-based, right? Yeah, and Exactly. That, that's what it comes down to. I mean, we, we have It's not saying that we don't have needs. Like, you're always going to have needs in college down the road because with guys staying three to four years, typically, I guess a guy could stay five years, maybe with a register, but three to four years, you're always going to have to be looking. And Kirby mentioned this in his press conference, and it's obvious, but it's true. You have to look ahead. So you always have to be planning, but you also want to fill immediate needs when they arise. and offensively with some of the early departures and just some of the deficiencies that we had on offense last year that were pretty clear, especially that receiver, we had to address those things. We, we simply had to. And if that meant we took one or two less defensive guys, I think I'm okay with that because we do have with guys like Richard LeCount coming back, Eric Stokes coming back, pretty much the entire defense coming back absent maybe JR Reed, There just wasn't the immediate need. Our depth on the defensive side of the ball uh, is outstanding right now. I mean, I think the stat is like we were one of – just a handful of uh, teams in the country that had over 37 players play over 100. I think I think we had 37 players that played over 100 snaps on defense last year. So the depth is there and the quality depth, the talent to depth is there. Offensively, we have some really good pieces, but I just don't know that we have the depth up and down the roster on that side of the ball that we have defensively. And there are just more deficiencies there, which was very clear last year. So to me, I think that's
0: why you go so heavy on the offensive side of the ball this year. Well, I think it was, it was really just th- something that had to do with it, too, is the change in offensive coordinator. There's going to be a different philosophy, so you're going to have to retru- recruit a different t- type of player. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. You go, you have to go get the guys to fit the system that we want
1: to run long-term. Maybe those guys aren't on the team right now. That's a really good point as well. Um, and if you look at it, it's really two positions that we went heavy at, right? It's offensive line and wide receiver. And obviously wide receiver, we all know. The well documented deficiencies there. It's pretty clear that we had to go out and just get guys that can make plays at that position. I think we did that. Um, then the offensive line wasn't so much about deficiencies, it's about numbers, right? I mean, we have some big time um, prospects, some guys that played a lot of downs for us uh, that are going to the NFL, whether you're talking about Isaiah Wilson, Andrew Thomas, uh, then you've got Cade Mays deciding to do whatever Cade Mays decided to do and going over to Knoxville. So so there's, there's and, and Solomon Kinley going pro. So there there are there were some losses there that we had to replace and uh, you looking down the road i mean trey hill could potentially be gone for this year if he has a huge year i think he'll probably stay all four years but he could be gone then cleveland's going to be gone so we have to find some bodies i mean jamari sell hell he could be gone after this year if he has a good year as a starter so we had to find some bodies there and get them in there and prepare for the future so that was uh to me that's really what it came down to i don't think our coaches are just like you know what we just love offensive guys. Let's go for that. No, I mean, our coaches had a plan. They understand that, and they just realized that we had needs to fill on that side of the ball more so than we had on the defensive side of the ball at this point in time. But um, uh, I, I mentioned this, Curtis, Like We went all in on offensive linemen. We signed seven in this one class. I mean,
0: that is a big number at one position. Are you – I mean, we have needs there, Right. Yeah, and I think one thing that really stuck out to me is that I think that not every one of these guys is the five, four and five stars. So we're going to have some guys that are okay with redshirting and potentially being around come, uh, you know their senior year and stuff. Yeah,
1: I mean, a guy like you know Cameron Kenney's a guy from Collins Hill that we signed on, on Wednesday who kind of, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but he was just, uh, you know, we had, we had an available, available scholarship. So you go ahead and you offer a guy like that. But um, another guy that we got late in the early signing period is Austin Blasky. I think he's going to be a really good player too. And one thing I like about him, he's a, he's a – I don't know if he won the state championship, but he's a very accomplished high school wrestler, and I love guys like that. That's just the toughness that they come and, and bring to the table every single day. So you're right about that. It's the guys that can kind of just grow and develop in the system, be redshirt cannons, and not be expected to play right away and want to be the, the guy that's transferred and all that kind of stuff. But then you mix that with some really highly rated guys you know, obviously, the Broderick Jones, the Cedric Van Prans, those kind of guys. The Tate Riley, you can't forget about Tate. Tate's going to be a really good player for us. But, I mean, seven, that's a huge number. Even if we have needs
0: of that position, are you okay with us taking seven offensive linemen in this 2020 class? I mean, if the needs were there, then yes. I mean, if all—if all honesty, if I'm going to trust anyone with roster management, it's definitely going to be Kirby Smart. And I think also the one thing we aren't mentioning is I think that uh, Matt Luke may have a different idea of how he wants to use these type players too. Yeah, I mean that that's
1: a very real possibility. I um, mean there's been some talk about him wanting some Kirby kind of downplayed a little bit in his press conference on, on sign day, but there's been some talk about Lou kind of wanting the guys to to drop some weight, to le- kind of lean up their bodies a little bit, move some weight around. So if, if you're recruiting, you don't want to have, have to have those guys do that. You want to just recruit the kind of guys that uh fit what you want to do uh for that criteria that you have a little bit more uh effectively coming straight out of high school. So I mean, look, I I guess I am okay with it. I, I was I was surprised, honestly, that we took some of the guys that we took late in the process, like like Cameron Kinney. Uh, now, he's a guy that comes from a good high school program at Collins Hill. Uh, from all accounts, he's a really high academic kid, just a good guy, the kind of guy you want to have in your program. But were you surprised we took a guy like Cameron Kinney who's completely off the radar, not even really ranked nationally in the 247 composite? Were you surprised? which Yeah, like I Ken?
0: was a little bit surprised by that one. But, you know, once again, I said, like I, I was thinking, maybe it goes towards these guys who will be around for a while.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I always say, you know, I, some people call me a coach defender and that's fine. I'll, I'll take that. Uh, But I just, I, I always say that coaches have more information to operate off of than we do. It's just that simple. Like we, we see what we see. We can pull up highlight tapes and that kind of thing. But we don't meet these kids. We don't know what kind of kids they are. We don't go to practice and watch them practice. We don't watch as much tape as these coaches. do. We don't have access to as much tape. We don't talk to their coaches and all that kind of stuff. We don't, we don't do that. So they have more uh, information to operate off of than we do. So I, I'm going to trust our staff. And, I, and as, as I've always said, also, I am almost implicitly trust Kirby Smart when it comes to recruiting. So if he thinks he's worth an offer, then uh, we'll go with that for right now. Uh, and you can say the same about Austin Blasky, guy from South Effingham, got in that late signing period. There are some questions about, should we have taken a guy like that? Because everybody wants the Broderick the Jones and the Cedric Van Prans, the Tate Ratlages of the world. But I will say, all, offensive line is also a position that I think is one of the toughest positions to project towards the next level because a lot of these guys just they dominate based on sheer force and sometimes they play you know lesser competition they're just bigger and stronger so they just bowl over people but doesn't necessarily always translate to the next level so uh, i'm gonna trust the guys who do this professionally and they watch these guys a lot more than we do have a lot more information to work with so uh yeah we can sit here and criticize and say yeah maybe we shouldn't have taken that guy but the other question is like who else are you gonna take when you're that late in the signing period you have an open spot you just take the, either the, the top available prospect who's ready to commit or a guy who fills the need. And I and I get going back to what we were talking about, the offensive line, it seems like there was a need there and we felt Cameron Kinney could be a guy that could potentially help us. Now, uh, the next thing here, Kurt, the, the February signing day itself, let's be real. Like this signing period on Wednesday or this signing day on Wednesday, which used to be such a huge deal. Everyone go to the blind pig, do that whole thing. It was a lot of fun. But, man, like – it seems like each year it's becoming more and more anti-climatic for us. We had a little bit of drama last year, but this year it was pretty anti-climatic, not a ton of suspense. We did most of our heavy lifting during the early signing period. We only had about four spots available heading into this late signing period. But as far as I'm concerned – the biggest news of the day, stick with the offensive line here, was our ability to hold on to both offensive tackle Broderick Jones and interior offensive line prospect Cedric Van Pran. Van Pran can play center or guard. We'll see like kind of how that plays out over the next couple of years. Now, with Sam Pittman leaving to take that Arkansas head coach job, like there were certainly more than uh there was more than a little bit of concern about both Jones and Van Pran and, and whether we were actually gonna be able to hold on to these guys. But we did. Ultimately, we were able to fend off Auburn for Jones and it really but it was both LSU and Florida for Van Pram. And my understanding is that the hometown LSU team, like they were working Van Pran hard as recently as Tuesday night. But uh, he stuck with us and we were able to hold him off when it was all said and done. But so Kurt, like being able to hold on to Two big time prospects like that, not to mention firming up Tate Ratledge uh, in the early signing period. What does that tell you about new offensive line coach Matt Luke?
0: Um, the one thing that stands out to me—I mean, you heard it a lot um, when he was still a head coach. He does a good job of connecting to these kids. He built some relationships really quickly, and I think that's one of the biggest things that stands out to me is just how quickly. I mean, we—I mean, we'll still learn. He has a—he has a lot to show us about as his coaching ability and things like that. But I definitely think you have to give him some credit for just the way he connects with these kids, the way he gets them to trust him so quickly. Because, I mean, even going back to Tate Rattledge, I think it was over a week, you know, maybe within five days he got him to reaffirm his commitment and decide to sign early. And then Broderick, I mean, Broderick was already flirting with Auburn at the time that we lost Sam Pittman. So the fact that he could come in and shore him up, I think, was very impressive. Yeah, I, I think what this tells me is a couple of things. And look, maybe I'm reading it too much into a small sample size.
1: It, that's certainly possible. But what this tells me, and and, and we'll, we'll find out for sure, for real, for real, with this next class, this 2021 class. We've got some big-time offensive line prospects headlined by Amarius Mims in state here in the state of Georgia. But it tells me, at least on some level, that we might not be skipping much of a beat with offensive line recruiting
0: with Sam Pittman gone. Are, are you with me there? Oh, 100%. I think that if he uh, getting Matt Luke was a big hire for us. Yeah, and look, I,
1: I know that Sam Pittman has uh, had a long track record here at Georgia, signing elite prospect after elite prospect along the offensive line. I get all of that, but I also go back and look at Sam Pittman at his other stops. Now, he's always recruited well, but Kurt, let me, let me ask you this. Was, was Sam Pittman the recruiter? He ended up being at Georgia when he was at
0: other stops like Tennessee, Arkansas earlier in his career. Was he that no kind Tennessee? Of it was one player really was his claim yeah. to fame, and Juwan James. Yeah, um, and then uh, you know Arkansas. He was he got good players, but it wasn't like they were the the, the yeah. I mean, he had some big caliber strong caliber guys in their system. Game.
1: Yeah, but like he wasn't going at Arkansas. He was not going. I know it's Arkansas, but that's kind of my point. He wasn't going out getting five star guy after five star guy in Arkansas, was he? No, not at all. He wasn't. He, but he started to do that here at Georgia. Now he's and look, he he himself had to be a good recruiter. I don't want to completely just discount what Sam Pittman brought to the table. Very personal guy, good, really good recruiter. But a big part of what made him develop into an elite recruiter once he got here was the brand was Georgia. When you have that to sell and you also have a guy who
0: pushes you nonstop, like Kirby Smart.
1: Absolutely. And Sam Pittman, when he got the Arkansas job and some of the interviews, made no bones about it. He was pretty clear, pretty upfront about it that, hey, he thought he knew how to recruit, but he he realized he had no idea how to recruit until he got to Georgia and was working with Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart helps develop coaches, not just on the field in terms of their ability to coach players up, but also recruiting, because that's such a huge part of coaching college football. Uh, that's why I always kind of laugh when people criticize Kirby. Oh, he's not that great of a – well, you hear rivals. He's not that great, of co- cri- uh, gr- that great of a coach. All he can do is recruit. I'm like, dude, recruiting is at least half the battle in the college game. Like, that's part of the job description as a coach. So when you say he can't coach, like, what do you say? That's how saying?
0: Nick Saban se- has separated himself. The guy's always been a great coach, but all of a sudden when he started getting that talent gap, the guy went to probably one of the greatest of all time coaches in college yeah. football. Sure. I mean, at, at Michigan State, Nick Saban was the same coach, the same guy, right? But it's Michigan yeah, State, same disciplinarian, same perfectionist. But things change when you start getting those players. Yeah, when you go to a, when you go to a brand like an
1: LSU at first, and you go to Alabama, a brand that kind of sells itself, and then, or at least to some degree, sells itself, and then you you amplify the brand with your the skill set you bring to the table. All of a sudden, all bets are off, and that's what's happened here at, at Georgia. We've always had the brand; we were always a sleeping giant of sorts. But when you bring a Tyler's recruiter like Kirby in here and you use his skill set to amplify what we already have to offer, then it's just game over. That, that's what, that's the, ultimately what happens. And then, so Sam Pittman guy who's been a good recruiter elsewhere comes here and uh, all of a sudden he becomes this superstar recruiter when he's never quite been, had that, maybe that reputation. So he developed that reputation with in about three or four years here in Athens. So I, I, I'm not saying that he's not a good recruiter. He is, he's a great recruiter, but, matt luke's also a really good recruiter matt luke's also a guy with a lot of personality he's a guy that the kids can connect with which you saw with tate ratledge and roger jones and van Brand really quickly firming those guys up and, and part of that sure was the georgia brand but you also have to be a good recruiter as well but uh yeah so i, I honestly with what we had to sell as a program as university as this uh, as a city here in athens as a, the, the college town that we have and with kirby smart as your closer. I just don't think there's gonna be that big of a fall off when it comes to recruiting the offense on the offensive line, which a lot of rival fan bases were were joyous over because when we lost Sam Pittman, they thought now this was this was their chance, right? Well, intermatt Luke, good recruit in his own right. And now you have the Georgia. Yeah, especially Rangers.
0: Auburn was probably licking their chops when they hear that Sam Pittman's gone, but nope, he locked him down. Yep. And again, you can never underestimate what Kirby smart brings to the table as, cause he's the alpha.
1: He's the one like, and he was telling players that when the, when some of these coaching changes are being made, whether it was Coley and, or Pittman like, Hey guys, I know there's been some changes here. There's been some, some movement, but like, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. And that says a lot when the head man's there and the head man is as good of a recruiter as he is. I mean, I'll always maintain Kirby smart is at the very least as good of a recruiter as any other coach in America. I think he, I think he's personally the best, but, uh, I, I well, think- and I
0: think another big thing, too, is you have to trust Kirby's uh, um, judge and character. I mean, it didn't work out with James Coley, but he had the cojones to make the change. But outside that, I think he does a good job of trying to replace people. Yeah, he 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 obviously does a great job Yeah,
1: identifying people and having that next guy in line, right? There's always that old cliche that coaches have, like the, uh, the list in their desk drawer, right? Of like, So if somebody leaves, who's my next guy? And it's the same thing with lead directors. When coaches leave, who's the next guy? And uh, Kirby's done a great job uh, through the, you know, and, and through his st- different stops, whether it was LSU, Georgia, 2005, uh, Alabama, obviously the the NFL for a couple of years, Valdosta State. He's been around some coaches, especially Alabama, when you have the, the bloated, they were the first one to really kind of develop that bloated support staff. So he's worked with a lot of guys like Dan Lanning, Cross Pat Schumann, those kind of guys. And he knows, even though those guys might not have been on staff or on field coaching positions, he knows which guys are going to be the the next rising stars. And uh, he has that list and he does a great job of bringing them in and then kind of helping them develop. And um, we've got some, we've got a great staff because of that. I'm really not like when we lose guys, I'm I'm not all that worried. Again, because part of it's Georgia, because we're always going to be an attractive job for all these assistant coaches and we have guys going off and and getting promotions like sam Pittman and james and jim cheney like that's attractive to other coaches who want to kind of do something similar and move on up the chain so i'm not something i'm not really all that worried about but um all right uh next thing now this is another thing that's pretty interesting about this class curve when you look at where these players are from the guys that we got in this in this class, what part of the country are they coming from? I find that pretty interesting. If you look at the numbers, I went back and um, counted. You,
0: you have a decent amount in the southeast, um, the set sa- you know, and everything. But I thought we this year we did a lot better—not uh, a better job, but just we did a, a more interesting job of going out west. We did. I mean, it was seventeen of the twenty-five players that we signed in this class are out of state
1: prospects, and and that's a year after a class in which twenty to twenty-five players in two thousand nineteen. That we signed were from outside the state of Georgia, uh, and you mentioned, uh, you know, out west. If you look at some of these guys, you've got uh, a guy from got Darnell Washington from Las Vegas. You got Keely Ringo from Arizona. I mean, we are going
0: all Kendall over. Milton from California. Like the brand really yeah. is getting built.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely is a couple of uh, Jermaine Burton from Calabasas in California. He had some ties here, George, but he was out in California. Uh, a couple of guys, you get the kicker, uh, Jared Zirkel, You got Jalen Kimber, the cornerback from Texas, uh, which obviously is a very talented state. We, we all know about the talent there. So uh, we're in, uh, in last year, Xavier trust from Rhode Island. So uh, we're looking around the country and going and getting guys from, from really everywhere. So, I'm curious, Kurt, Like, because there are those out there who – I mean, let's be real. Like you've probably heard this. I'm, not, I'm sure all of us have. There are those out there who get concerned about that, who get con- concerned about us recruiting more out-of-state at the expense of in-state prospects. And, and those guys argue that ultimately that's going to come back to bite us in the end.
0: So, Kurt, where do you fall on that question, in-state versus out-of-state, that whole deal? I think sometimes at times it's a little overrated. I mean, people got to remember Georgia is a very transient state in general. The metro area for sure. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like um, you have them. And sometimes, you know, the in-state guys may not be able to, you know, may not turn out to be the best. I mean, Nate McBride was thought of very highly, and he didn't, you know, pan out I'm Not picking on him. But, you know, um, just because <clears throat> they're in-state guys doesn't mean they're going to be the best when the time comes. Yeah, I think that's – look, I get, that's where I land. And I, I mean, do- some of these players that sat out too, I mean, especially when it came to the bowl game and stuff, some were from Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, see,
1: I, I know that – I guess part of the argument is, is the old school argument is like, you want guys that love Georgia, right? Guys that – if a guy grows up loving Georgia, he's going to play harder. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true necessarily. Now, they might be less likely to transfer I, if things don't go well because they're closer to home and there is that built-in love, I, I guess, that affection. But, look, let's be real. All these guys want to go to the NFL. They play hard first and foremost. Well, they want to win, sure. They have pride, sure. But let, let's be real. They want to make that cash, Right. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and if you don't play hard, you ain't making that cash. So I don't know if I buy the argument, well, he's not from Georgia. He, he must, he's not going to play as hard as a guy from somewhere in South Georgia. I, I don't know about that. Now, again, there might be something something to that in terms of like transferring and that kind of thing. Maybe. I think it depends on the guy, honestly. But there's so much more that goes into those decisions than just that. Uh, it might be a small factor, but I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a major factor. And to me, like, I don't know. I just – I can't – on some level I do get it. All right. I get what you're saying. Like, you know, any given year, we might not have the ability to go out and get some of these guys from the West Coast and from Texas, and you know, it's just not working that year. And you want to at least have the state of Georgia to fall back on. And if you're not getting those guys from Georgia, if you're ignoring them, that's the argument. It's like you're ignoring those guys from Georgia. You're not giving them the love, and so it's going to piss off the high school coaches. The high school coaches in Georgia are not going to give you as much access to the program. They're not going to uh, play up your program, to their players as much as you would like. And so, when you do have a big time prospect in the state of Georgia, you might not have. That home field advantage, that built-in advantage that you should otherwise have since they're in-state guys because the coaches in the state uh, they're kind of resentful and and there's that whole reputation. That's the argument. and I get that to a degree, but I'm sorry. I come to me, I just come back to this. It, what sense in the world does it make to not go out and get the best players in the country? right? Yeah, you're right. If you want to win, you have to get the best players. And if, some, if those best players are from the state of Georgia, then awesome, man. That's fantastic. And still recruit the state. Still go make the visits, even if you're not actually like, uh, you know, offering these guys scholarships and you're not giving them committable offers, that kind of thing. It, still go visit the, 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 the high schools in the state of Georgia. Build those relationships. Because you're might have you going to. Because Georgia, I would say, is a top four to five talent-producing state in the country nowadays. I mean, you've got California, obviously, uh, Texas, Florida. And those states are just bigger by numbers per and Louisiana's big as well ohio's got some some prospects but if you look at it per capita i mean we're right up there to be honest um so, but there's just not as many guys as you have like in california or texas or florida but you know we're gonna have some high level prospects and you want to have the advantage there when when they do come to the state of georgia but the bottom line is to win big to win the whole thing like we all want to do you have to have the best players in the country you just simply have to so if you have like a a top 10 ranked guy that's from California and a guy that's maybe in the top 50 in Georgia playing the same position, it, you would be insane to tell a guy, say, the top ten, top five, top 10 guy from California is coming to Georgia. You, you'd be insane to say, no, I'm sorry, you can't come to Georgia. We have this guy who's ranked like number 74. And I know coaches don't look at rankings. I get all that. But we have this guy that's well, we're not quite as high on. We don't think he's quite as good of a player as you, uh, but he's from the state of Georgia, so we're going to take him. Like You don't do that. You don't. You don't win big if you do that. You just simply don't. Um, now, if you think two guys are evenly rated and you know, they're even on your board, then then sure, maybe in that scenario, that rare scenario, you go with the guy that's in state. But I just don't know if that's the if that's happening all that often. You just simply have to go get the best players. And if they're in California, go get them. If they're in Texas, go get them. If they're in Rhode Island, go get them. And, and think about this, Kurt. Think about the guys that we wouldn't have gotten if we just stuck to guys from Georgia. Think about like Todd Gurley. Where's Todd Gurley from? North Carolina. North Carolina. Think about No. Sean Moreno back in the day. Dude's from New Jersey. Think about Isaiah Aaron Wilson. Murray's
0: from, Aaron Murray's from Florida.
1: Exactly. Aaron Murray. Orson Charles from the same high school, playing high school in Florida. DeAndre uh, Swift,
0: Philadelphia.
1: Philadelphia. Absolutely. I mean, so we're just saying we don't want those guys? Is that what we're saying?
0: Because that's insane um, to me. If you listen to some of these people, it is. That's Tony that, Michelle's from Florida. Tony Michelle from Florida. Absolutely. From down in Miami. Uh, it's just crazy to me. People that rep they, the G with pride. So, I mean – just because they're not from the state doesn't mean we don't want them. I think that that whole argument, um, I think you just have a lot of butt hurt people is really what it comes down to. Yeah, I guess that's a, a very eloquent way to put it. Uh yeah, and look, I again, I do get it to a degree.
1: I understand that. And like, yeah, and I'm sure these guys they, it's it's awesome to see a, a kid that grows up loving the state of Georgia, bleeding the red and black, get a chance to play for his home his hometown university. That's that's amazing to see. But, you know, this you can't go with sentiment. Like you, you, you in some level, you gotta be a little bit cold-blooded. And, if you want to win big, I mean, that's, that's, it's a business. And that's, I know we hate to say that, but it, it is. Um and, and you just, it's great when the sentiment works out and the, those guys are talented enough to, to earn an offer here. But if you're not the best player, you got to go get the best player. That, that's, that's just kind of where I fall on it. And I mean, I'll listen to arguments from other people and that's cool. We can, we can be on a different side of this because I know there are people out there who want, who want us to sign, you know, 75% of the class from the state of Georgia. And, and if it works out that way, then great. That's awesome. If 75% of the players we got, are from the state of Georgia because they were the best players in the class this year, then great, great. But I just don't know if that's always going to work out that way, especially when you're talking about filling needs. Because there might be a year, like, you know, next year, the defensive, or this year, the defensive tackle class in the state wasn't necessarily great. Uh, offensive line class was was good, so you load up on some of the guys. You know, you get Broderick Jones, you get Tate Ratledge, you get Blasky, you get guys like that. But sometimes the, uh, at a particular position, it's just down in state, and you can't just say, you know what, I'm still going to take these guys because they're Georgia guys. I just I don't think you can do that. Well, uh, let's move on here, and let's, uh, let's now talk about some of the specific prospects in this class. So, Kurt, i got a, a couple questions here, and then we'll get down to, uh, we're going to talk about some defensive, some of the defensive prospects here in a few minutes, but I want to ask you a couple questions here, Kurt. So, uh, rankings be damned. Now, I'm going to give you a name, uh, or give you a question. I want you to give me a name, and, and just a little brief explanation. Rankings be damned here. Who do you personally see as the Biggest impact player in this class in terms of the guy by the, when it's all said and done, at the end of his career, which player in this class is gonna have the biggest impact on our program? Um, probably Darnell Washington
0: because he's the one that can change wow. the entire position. Wow. Okay. All right. What do you mean by that? Change an entire position? Um, I, I mean, me we haven't there. we have struggled lately in the tight end position. I think he's very close to these new age tight ends that can do it all. Um, uh, I think he's a great blocker, great receiver, um, and I think that's just the. I think he's gonna really change the game for us. Um now I think Keely Ringo could also, but if I had to go off position wise and what how important that is to us, I think you have to go with Darnell Washington. Do you see Washington as a guy that potentially could open up the floodgates for
1: if we use him correctly and he has a big career here that could open up the floodgates for us in terms of recruiting tight end prospects moving forward? Exactly.
0: And that's that's why I think it that's why I kind of say it like he's the type that can change everything for us.
1: Yeah, I I I, I can totally see that. Um, and it's like, it's like, and that, that, do, that thing does matter. That, that, that whole idea does matter. Like, Cause it always, is, you have, there to has
0: to be a first.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like if we, it, it, you can say the, the same thing about like Jamie Newman, right? With dual threat quarterbacks. Like we've been trying to I mean, think about trying, it, Julio
0: changed everything for Alabama to receive. Absolutely. That's a great point. Abso- that's a
1: great name throughout there. Absolutely. And like, we want Jamie Newman to do the same thing for us. Like Kirby, you can see he, we've been trying to go after more dual threat type guys in the quarterback position, but it's hard it's a hard sell when they have no evidence whatsoever to suggest to them that we're going to like, the only, all the only for the reference they have is oh yeah you had Justin Fields but you didn't use him right so he went and transferred to Ohio State where they did use him right and he had a year that was Heisman trophy caliber ish right uh but if with yeah. Jamie Newman, if we if we actually use this guy right with the New Office Coordinator, and we we feature the dual threat skill set he brings to the table, that could potentially open up the floodgates for us in recruiting dual threat quarterbacks. So now we actually have something tangible to point to. So I think that's a really good point, Kurt, about Darnell Washington. That's a really good point. I didn't see you going there. I didn't think that was a name you were going to go with. But uh, I see where you're coming from there. Uh, for me, uh, Keely Ringo is the name you mentioned. I think is I, I think Keely Ringo really. Uh, I'll say this a little bit about him in a second. Uh, we'll talk more about the defensive players. I think he could potentially be – like, I know he's number he's ranked number four nationally 247 composite. I think it was all said and done. Like, there's a chance he could be the best player in this entire class. Not just, like, our Georgia class. I'm talking about the entire 2020 cycle for all teams. Like, I think there's a chance he could be that good. We'll see. But this guy is insanely talented. He's got a, an insane frame. Just really good player. But the guy I'm going to go with – I mentioned him a little bit in the, in the past couple of weeks – A guy that I'm so high on. He finally got his fifth star, which was a long time coming. I can't believe it took that long for him to get his fifth star. I mean, I would say in the summer, this guy's guy's an easy five-star prospect. Uh, That's Jalen Carter from Apopka, Florida. He's an absolute beast. He, in my opinion, is the missing piece of the puzzle defensively and it's hard to say we've had a missing piece because we uh we were so good last year but we have still have not had that dominant interior defensive lineman under Kirby Smart and I think Jalen Carter is that guy to me he is going to be an absolute monster for us I think he could be an impact player right away. I know we have a lot of bodies up there. We don't have as much of a need immediately on the defensive line, but I think he is that good. I think he's going to be in the rotation this year. And by uh, his sophomore season, I think he's going to start taking the SEC by storm. I think he's that good. Now, maybe I'm, I'm overplaying him a little too much, but I am that high on this guy. He's got elite quickness. He's got elite power. The guy is just a monster, and he's barely scratched the surface of how good he can be. He's already Really, really good. So I think he is going to end up being the game-changing tight ends tackle that we have been missing for a while now. And I think he—I'm not going to say—he's going to change the entire complexion of our defense. Our defense is already really good, but I think he's the kind of guy that could potentially put us over the top defensively and make us exceptionally difficult to deal with on that side of the ball. But all right, let's move on to the next question here. And that Curtis—and this could be the same player if you want it to be. That's totally cool. It's a similar question, a little bit different, but similar. So not who do you think is going to have the biggest impact throughout his entire career by the time it's all said and done, but which of the prospects in this 2020 recruiting class makes the earliest impact?
0: If I had to say, I mean, I'm probably once again going to go with Darnell Washington. I think that um, he's just coming into a position of need. It's either him or Broderick Jones, in my opinion. Um, but those are the two, I think, on the offensive side of the ball where you're going to just out of necessity and, you know, there's not a lot in front of them um, that gives them the easier chance of getting to in the starting spot And I think also just the fact that they're more talented than what we have in my opinion. Fair.
1: Broaddie Jones is an interesting one. We do have a hole of left tackle. Uh, and at right tackle, I guess, technically, although I think Jamari Salier will fill, will fill one of those spots. And Xavier Truss will be in the conversation at left tackle as well. And it's tough for offensive linemen to come in. I know Andrew Thomas did it as a true freshman at right tackle, but it, it's still tough. It, it, it's certainly the exception, it's not the rule. And maybe Roger Jones can be that kind of guy. He can come in and, and be a starter right away because there is a hole there, a vacancy. But I just, I, I always hesitate to predict offensive linemen to be starters in year one because it's just a, it's a grown man's league on the line of scrimmage in the SEC. And maybe he's ready. I hope so. He's a highly rated guy. But um, I don't know. It's hard for me to count on that. I'm gonna go completely off the radar here. Uh and everyone's gonna be like, what? But I, I do in terms of like the earliest impact, to me, it's almost it's pretty clear it's gonna be Jared Zirkel, the kicker from Texas. Like this guy's probably gonna be our would you say he's at the odds on fair to be our kicker next year?
0: Oh, that's actually a really good uh person. I didn't even think about
1: that. Yeah, I mean, just I was kind of looking at the the, the class here. I'm like, yes, yeah, Zirkle. I mean, I know that Kamara is going to try to I mean, he'll he'll be in the conversation as the kicker, the place kicker as well, and so he has a shot because he was a really good kicker. Actually, I thought he was a better kicker than punter in high school. Me personally, when the, the few times I saw him play, uh, but I don't know if Kirby would want to go that direction. If Zirkle is um, at least d- performs well enough in practice, but I think he's probably going to be our kicker, which is, it makes me nervous. The freshman kickers make me really nervous too. But I think he'll probably make the like. If I'd have been on one guy to make the earliest impact for sure, I would probably go Zirkle just because like we don't have any other kickers right now other than maybe maybe Kamara. I don't don't know if he want him pulling double duty right now. Uh, all right, next one here. I like this question. Who is the most
0: underrated prospect in this class? In your opinion? Ooh, um, underrated prospects. Wow, that's a good one. Um. Hmm. I'm going to go with Mikael Sherman. I think he's just not getting hyped up enough for how good he actually can be. Yeah, and this guy, was he was a five-star uh, early on for most
1: of this cycle, actually. And then when the final rankings came out, he got dropped down. The 247 composite ended up like, I think he was like the first four-star. The, the guy before him was the last five-star, number 32 nationally. I think that's crazy. I think MJ, he goes by MJ, M- Mikael, MJ, whatever, uh, I think he's going to be a really good player. And he's a guy that I, I, I already really like because he was so solid to us, so loyal to us when he committed that uh, I I, uh, I already have a little soft spot for him. He's another guy from 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 the D.C. area. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a really good pick. I mean, he's a highly rated guy, but I, I do I agree. I think he should probably be a little more highly rated than he is. I, there's a couple directions I could go here. Oh, man. All right. So I, I like M.J. Sherman. That's a really good pick. You know – one guy that I'm going to go with that is not that – I mean, he's still a, basically a top 100 prospect, but he's a freak athlete. And uh, that's Jalen Kimber, uh, cornerback from Texas. Now, I know he's a little on the undersized side of things right now, but he's a freak athlete. His Spark score, his Nike rating, was uh, was 140 at, at an opening regional. He's been clocked at four, in the 4-4 four four range, a 42-inch vertical jump, like a 4.02 short shuttle. I mean, this guy is a he's a he's a plus athlete, and I know he's he's ranked pretty high. Uh, it's borderline top 100, but he's a guy that I think could end up being a really really good player for us at cornerback. Doesn't quite have the size, but I do think he could end up being a really good player for us. Another guy that I'm gonna throw out here. This is my second. I, I would probably go Kimber. The other guy I'm gonna throw out Justin Robinson. Now he's kind of good He's he's he was committed for a long time, wide receiver. But he's kind of got lost in the shuffle with some of the the wave of really good receivers that we got in the late in the, in, the, in the late part of the early signing period, I should say, or right at the early signing period, with guys like Jermaine Burton and uh, and Arian Smith, those kind of guys. You got Marcus Roseme as well. People aren't really talking about Justin Robinson as much, and I, I was kind of guilty of that as well. So I threw myself in 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 that in that boat because his junior – his sophomore and junior tape was good, but it wasn't eye-opening. His senior tape was uh, was really, really good. And he's already uh, enrolled here on campus. He was an early enrollee. And early returns from from what, I've, from what I from hear and what I understand is that he is really kind of opening some eyes and doing some really good things. Um, and uh, he's, he's a big-body guy, 6'4", 200 pounds, kind of fits that that profile, the kind of receivers that we were having a lot of success with, with the Riley Ridleys, Devon Wims, those kind of guys, the J.J. Hollomans. Uh, he's a really good athlete. Got the physicality. Got a good frame, good body, good strong hands. Maybe not a, a, a true burner, but plenty of, of speed. Good enough speed to go out and do some big time things for us. So I think Joshua Robinson be a guy that could be a especially with some of the issues we had at wide receivers and be some openings, some opportunities there. He's already on campus, so he was ranked number two ninety six nationally. I could certainly see him uh, outplaying that that high school ranking, in my opinion. Uh, all right, Kurt. Last question here on this before we talk about some of the, the, the uh, defensive prospects. Which we've already talked about a little bit. We'll go a little more in depth with them here in a minute. Which, so, we talked about how some, uh, some people have an issue with us not going after more in state prospects. Okay. And, and we, we obviously is the number one recruiting class in the country, an incredible class by any account, any measure whatsoever. But there were some in state guys that we did miss on or that went elsewhere for whatever reason. So, Kurt, of some of those big name prospects from the state of Georgia that ended up going somewhere else, they got out of the state. Which in state prospect are we going to regret missing the most over the next couple of years?
0: Um, there's, I mean, no, there's always somebody, Trevor
1: Lawrence, you know, or,
0: or uh, yeah. I mean, Deacon you can say Lutz. Tank, but Who's the that thing guy is, that I don't know. Um, the thing about Tank is that, as you see at Auburn, they're running back the way they rotate the running backs doesn't always help show the running backs off as much. Um, right. But I think it would he could have been good in our rotation. Um, but outside of that, I mean, there's not that many people that we went all out after. Do you that see him as a as a feature?
1: Do you see him as a feature back?
0: Um. I don't know if he's the good guy going to carry the ball 30 times for you. Yeah. That's a tough one. And Part of
1: it was, you know, at least, look, we don't know exactly what on behind the scenes, but there seems to be some – there was always some conversation, and you can certainly read into it this way, that we kind of pursued Zach Evans at the expense of Tank Biggs. Because from my understanding, there, were, there was a point where he was ready to commit to us, but we didn't, weren't ready to accept that commitment because we were still going after Zach Evans. And obviously, we know how Zach Evans played out. And that whole deal played out. We, we got his, his commitment. We got his, his uh, letter of intent. And then we released from his letter of intent. But looking at back at how that played out, Kurt, would you have rather just go ahead and just take Tank Bigsby
0: instead of keep pursuing Zach Evans? I mean, hindsight probably, yeah. um, if we're going to be honest. But when you had the opportunity to get someone like uh, Zach Evans at the time, I don't think you turned that away.
1: Yeah, and ultimately, we did land it. We we got Zach Evans, but we just, I guess, maybe at some degree underestimated just uh, how crazy things were going to get on that front. But, I mean, Tank's a really good player, uh, and it, it would have been great to have him. Uh, do you? How much of a gap do you think there is between him and Dejan Edwards, the second um, running back we ended up taking from Cocoa County?
0: I think he's a little bit more explosive. Um, yeah, I, I do think that's fair. I don't think there's a massive gap between the two, to be honest. No, maybe I, I don't think there's there. a massive gap. I think uh, Dejan Edwards is a very uh, established back, and I think he's... Um, very well developed. Um, he just lacks on some of the physical attributes.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very fair way to put it. And so I, I, I do. I think Tank's probably a little bit of a better prospect, right? Coming at least coming out of high school. see what they do once they get into college, but I I really don't think there's a a massive gap there, to be honest. Uh, So Tank's a good one. What about Eric Gilbert? I mean, number five player in the country goes Um, LSU. I mean,
0: yeah. Um, that's. I mean, that'll hurt. Yeah. Um, let's be honest.
1: And you were talking about how tight it was in a position for us. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I think the thing is, the fact that you still land Darnell Washington makes it sting a little less. Yeah. As, good as, the Gil- yeah, as, as good as Gilbert will be, probably will be, that it's the, the blow is stinged or lessened a little bit um, compared to why I think, like you were mentioning, you know, there's not as tight a gap between Edwards and Bigsby in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But Eric, I'll say this about Eric Gilbert. Like he's a freakish athlete. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he, he isn't. He is, but I just, I, I see him as a tweener. I don't know if he, he is dead set on playing wide receiver in, in college. He's dead set on it. The guy is six, 250 pounds. And he's a good, he's like, and you can get away with that at the high school level, even even at the highest classification here in the state of Georgia, you can get away with that, do, doing that in high school, but at the college level,
0: do you really see him as a true wide receiver? No, because nowadays in college football, you're seeing DBs get bigger and stronger too. So um, while you could do it in high school, you're still be a matchup problem, but not to the same degree as you were.
1: Yeah. Like he's going to be. I a mean, good especially player. like
0: look at the guy we're recruiting for 2021, that, the Williams out of Florida. I think he's out of Florida. Yeah. Guy's six foot four. I mean, yeah. th- there's they're developing people that can match up with you if you stay in the wide receiver position. Well, that's the Trinity cornerback. You want like Keely Ringo, six too long. You want guys like that. Uh, you want guys like
1: Tyson Campbell. Those those are the kind of players that that are that teams are at least the top level teams are, are really moving towards uh, it, defensively because you, you're right. Offenses try to create these matchup problems these kind of hybrid type players and how you match up with them. Well, you create like hybrid type. Cornerbacks, and that's kind of the direction we're moving
0: because yeah you're right we're we're going that way you know we started multiple years ago when we got a mere speed because we knew Kirby and Mel kind of saw that that's what you're having to counter so I mean and that's the thing that you know you're mentioning the game's changing at the DB position so it's affecting the wide receiver position for where Gilbert would have been more deadly if he was to stay in the tight end position because there's no doesn't matter how the position changes at linebacker are still not going to match up. With
1: you. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the guys, I mean, not just Keeley Ringo. Major Burns is already on campus, 6'2". The guy we just took late uh, on the late signing period, Darren Branch from Louisiana, he's 6'2". I mean, that's pretty clearly the direction we're moving in at cornerback. Now, I know Jalen Kimber is a little bit on the smaller side, but he's the exception in the class. When you look at the defensive backs that we've signed even this year and, and last year as well. So, um, like, I, I think I, I do think that's, it's hard to say it's a, you're right, it's hard to say that he's a miss. When you, like, your, your consolation, I'm doing air quotes, I and mean, you can't say that air quotes, your consolation is darn out watching that tight end. Uh, but I, I do have, I think he's he's going to be a good player. Don't be wrong. He's, Eric Gilbert's going to be a good player, but I just, I, I don't know where he's going to fit in. I, I know they, they did a good job using Thaddeus Moss, and he's, and Eric Gilbert kind of fits that mold as well. But he's not big enough to play inline tight end whatsoever. I don't—at least not right now. He can grow into that, but he's not that right now. And I just don't know if he's going to have the speed against college level defensive backs to be a, to really be as much of a matchup problem as he was at the high school level. We'll see. We'll see. I think he's going to be a good player. I just don't know if he's going to be a, a dominant player if he sticks at wide receiver. I just don't know. Uh, Miles Murphy, what about him? He's another name out there.
0: Now that one may hurt. Um, I think it did hurt letting defensive line position get out of state, but. Um, you know, the part I don't that know. Was just
1: the function of our defensive line. He, I mean, he, if you look at our scheme at six five two sixty, unless he bulks up massively, he's a five tech defensive end. In our, in and that, our and that's our what system. I was gonna say. I
0: think that us getting Jalen Carter fits more so what our defensive scheme is. Absolutely, and I think Jalen Carter is is just
1: as good, if not better, than Murphy. And they play. I think they would play different positions for us. I think Murphy would play more of the five tech. And in our system, that guy's just not a dominant pass rushing player. That's just not what we use that guy for. He's more of a a run player, like Malik Herring and Jonathan Ledbetter. And he fits more in the system of what Clemson does. So I get why he went to Clemson. That makes sense. Honestly, if you look at it schematically, it's a smart way to look at it. Um, So I think that that was what played to that more than anything. Uh, But, yeah, so, I mean, there's Gilbert. It would be hard to argue against Gilbert. Will Anderson uh, is another guy, uh, top 20 pass rusher. Top twenty player nationally, but pass rusher from Dutchtown ends up going to Alabama. But like we got a guy MJ Sherman who we got who we locked up early was really loyal to us. We weren't taking a lot of linebackers in this class. I just don't think we had room for him. I I don't think that one's that big of a miss because I think we'll be just fine with MJ Sherman. But uh, yeah, I think uh, Gilbert. Murphy, you can throw in. You can throw in Tank Bigsby there as well. Any of those was, was certainly fit. But um, all right, before we get out of here, I do want to take a closer look for a few minutes at some of the de- defensive players in this class. And then next week in part two of the 2020 Sign Day Recap, we will cover the offensive players. So just, we're going to do defense today because we had some other talking points we want to get through first. There's just not as many defensive players. There's 17 offensive players. So we're going to cover those in their own show next week. So we'll be looking forward to that. Uh, and we're going to have some fun with this one. So Kurt, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a name I'm going to give you his final ranking in the 247 composite. And I want you to tell me simply is that ranking too high, too low, or just right? And, and kind of give me a, a brief explanation as to why. So let's start at the top and kind of work our way down. Let's start with Keeley Ringo, cornerback out of Arizona, 6'2, 205 pounds, ended up in the final 247 composite as the number four prospect nationally. So is that too high, too low, or just right?
0: For him, I think that's just right. I mean, the guy is a game-changer on the defense side of the ball. The guy could do it all even on the offense side of the ball. He has such great ball skills, such great athleticism. And he got to the point in high school where teams just wouldn't even throw at him. I mean, they wouldn't even throw at him in the All-Star game because he was just such a shutdown player. So I think that's a very, very fair position for him.
1: Yeah, I, I can't argue. I mean, number four, I mean, there's, there's not much going up from there. I, like I said, I'll stick by this. I think there's a chance – that he could end up being the best player in this entire class, this entire 2020 recruiting cycle. I think there's a chance. Maybe you'll the the NFL draft in a couple of years. Maybe. Um, but I, I certainly think he's a top-five prospect. So I'm with you. I think that's just right for him. I don't think he should be any lower than that for sure, uh, and I wouldn't have a problem if he was a little bit higher, but number four, it's hard to argue with that. And he's just he's freak, he's freaky, man. He is freaky. Six two, twenty-five pounds, got great length. And on top, like usually one of the arguments against guys that are that big at cornerback is a lot of times they're not maybe not as fast than the smaller guys. No, um, he is not way, the case. Here. That guy's yeah. a legit on about four three. He is like at the five-star challenge over the summer, the rivals five-star challenge, he was timed two, to, not just one time, wasn't it? It wasn't freakish. Laser time two times. 435, 436. At 6'2, 205 pounds.
0: Yeah. Uh, and he's only gonna honestly get faster.
1: <laughs> yeah. Freak. That is a freak. Okay. This there's no way this guy is not going to be a, a stud for us. And I just I don't see it, man. There's just I mean, no he's, way he's. He, not he, be.
0: And he's just like a Richard LeCount, but more athletic.
1: Yeah, yeah. A bigger version of Richard, too. I mean, Richard's yeah. not he's not even I don't think Richard's six foot, maybe. Um, but Keely Ringo is gonna be a stud. I I I think just right, number four. And again, I, I I'll say it again. I think he could be the best player in this entire class. I think it's possible. Uh, all right. I mentioned Jalen Carter a few minutes ago. Let's talk about him real quick here. Kurt Jalen Carter uh, coming at 6'3, 301 pounds out of a Florida. Uh, ended up now, it took a while because he now he didn't play a ton of uh, defensive or he didn't play a ton of defense. Uh, coming into this sen- his senior season, but he did in spring practice and just wowed people. You watch some clips of that, and the the the, the, the clips you saw from his junior year it's like, oh my god, he doesn't even play this full time. He played it full time this year. Uh, was MVP type player at the all at the all American game uh, in January, and finally, finally, it was ridiculous. It took this long. Got bumped up to five star stats. Ended up at number eighteen nationally. In the 247 composite at the end of the day. So Kurt number 18,
0: is that too high, too low, or just right for Jalen? Um, I almost kind of want to say too high, just the fact that he's still so raw that you saw what he can do. Um, but I still think his he still is not at his ceiling yet, but I still think he does deserve the five-star status. I'll agree that he's certainly not at his ceiling yet, but that to me is kind of the
1: scary thing he's already well, and, and that's what i say i mean like there.
0: it is scary like that's how good the guy can be the better he gets um i just don't know right now at this point in time um if we're going off of how good he is now or what he yeah can do. projection yeah yeah I, I,
1: if i look at it as a projection like by the time he's all i know you're right it depends on how you look at this i'm gonna say i'm looking at this in terms of like when their career's over like will he have played up to that ranking exceed that ranking or played beneath that ranking I'm going to say Jalen Card when it's all said and done, will exceed that ranking or he'll play beyond that ranking. I'm going to say he's a little too low. I think he's a top 10 player. Uh, I know that's arbitrary. You're talking about eight spots. And what is a top 10? You're just throwing out numbers there. I just think he's that good, man. I am that high on Jalen And I, Maybe I'll be proved wrong. But, man, like, again, if he's as good as he has been this past year at that position, when it's really his first full year, like being a full-time defensive lineman, that is crazy to me. It, in regards to how good he can actually end up being. So I'm going to go slightly too low there, in my opinion, on Jalen Carter. He's, he's so explosive, powerful, plays with great leverage. I mean, he's he is the total package in that position. Incredible first step, all those things, all those things you need. All right, next up here, now you uh, you talked about MJ Sherman a little bit earlier, Kurt, Mikkel Sherman. Uh, 6'3", 234 pounds out of the D.C. area, was a five-star prospect most of this cycle uh, at the end of the day, ends up at number 32 nationally, just outside five-star status. Do you see that as too high, too low, or just about right for MJ?
0: I think that's actually kind of low for him. I think the guy, for some reason, once he cut down on uh, his visits and kind of cut him off, and he didn't, he wasn't as big on the camp circuit after he committed and everything. Um, but I think the guy is an absolute five-star, in my opinion.
1: I totally agree with you. I think it's too low. Uh, I think he's a top 25 player, in my opinion. I think they had it right the first time. I mean, you're exactly right. This is a classic case of what happens to guys who commit early and kind of shut down the recruiting process because they don't play the game, they don't do the interviews, they don't go to all the camps. They they get dropped in the rankings. And he's, this is not the first time this has happened to, to players. Just happens pretty often. to guys who do this, they kind of it's like out of sight, out of mind. That whole phenomenon. It's the guys who it, it, it what it makes sense. It's a business decision by these recruiting services. So obviously, when you have sign days coming up, they want to play up the drama of the uncommitted prospects, right? And it's more dramatic if it's if the uncommitted prospects are higher ranked. So if the guy's already committed, he shut down the process. He's not really doing interviews, not doing that kind of thing. Then he, he's not he he brings nothing to the table for these for these uh, recruiting services when it comes to signing day. I truly believe that. Uh, so I, he got dropped, uh, and, it, and what the, what they would tell you is like, oh, it wasn't that he got dropped; it's that other guys jumped ahead of him. Yeah, you jumped other guys ahead of him because he wasn't talking to you, he wasn't going to all these camps, and you wanted to build up the draw with these uncommitted prospects. That's that's what it is to me. And, and maybe that's me being cynical, but that's how I see And it's not just Sherman. This happens not just guys going to Georgia. It happens to guys going elsewhere. It always drives me crazy. But it, it's a business. I get it on some level. But I'm with you. I think he's a top 25 prospect. And this guy is 6'3", 235 pounds and runs a 4540. All right? This guy, is a he's going to be a, a great pass rusher. And he, the thing was, like, he missed most of his junior year with an injury. I mean, that played into the ranking a little bit, I guess. I don't know. But had a really good senior year. I uh, was an All Under Armour All-American and I think he is going to be next in line to be one of uh, be a, one of those really really dangerous pass rushers that we're starting to, to really stack here in Athens. Now we got to start to unleash them. But you got guys like a Zizo Jermaine Johnson, Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson. Now Mikel Sherman next in line. We're getting some really good players at that position. So I'm with him. think he's slightly undervalued there. All right. Next up is a guy that I mentioned a little bit earlier. We got cornerback Jalen Kimber out of Texas, six foot, 175, 170 pounds, a little on the light side there. Coming at number one hundred and four national two four seven composite. So, Kurt, too high, too low, or just right?
0: Um, I'd probably say it's just right. Um, I think that that's a fair place for him as he tries to develop his game and get into a better position.
1: I think that I'm going to agree with you there. Uh, I, I I think here's what I say about Jalen Kimber. He is a like I said earlier, he's a plus athlete, man. Four 42 inch vertical, 402 short shuttle, 99th percentile in all those categories. 99th percentile in the spark rating overall, which is kind of the measure of the overall athleticism of these guys and they go to the opening camps. They do all these, all the testing, all, all that stuff. Uh, so, freak athlete plus athlete, no doubt about it. But he's undersized. He's six foot, 170 pounds. I'm not saying he can't play it that way and be effective, but he would be more effective if he puts on a little bit more weight. So when you're looking at a guy like Keely Ringo, who runs a four, he runs mid four threes at 6'2", 205, that's crazy. Kimber is a crazy athlete himself, but he doesn't do it at the same size. So I think right around 100 is, is just about right for him. And, and by the way, being ranked borderline top 100, that means you're a really, really good prospect. I know people get stuck on a like five-star and top 25, all that. But being in the top 100, that's really, really good in its own right. So I think there's nothing to be ashamed of there. I think they have it right on Kimber. He moved up quite a bit. He was he was really got in some services a three-star when he first committed. But uh, once he started testing, they're like, oh, oh go to camps and you see these numbers and like oh yeah yeah this guy's good so he got moved up so i think that's just about right uh let's take the demons of backfield here for a second and uh a guy that's already on campus as an early enrollee major burns six foot two 176 a demons of back we'll see where exactly he plays in the demons of backfield he's
0: kind of got some versatility there coming in at number 180 nationally kurt too high too low i'm gonna right? sure to say too low i think this guy's a very raw talent who um I think he's actually going to be a very good playmaker for us. Um, I think it was a great get um, at early signing day. And I think that, I think he's actually a little low. I think he, that what he brings to the table is, a, um, you know, lo- like we are talking about with these long DBs. And I think he fits that, that what we want very well.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you know, he's, hes I'll be honest, he's a guy that I hadn't really paid much attention to because it wasn't on our radar up until his name started to surface right, right before the early signing period. And then, of course, I pulled up his tape and watched as much as I could and, and researched and found out as much as I could about the guy. And uh, I was kind of blown away by what I saw because I was expecting to be one of those guys, oh, you know, it's a guy, it's a, you know, he's not a big time recruited, pro- heavily recruited prospect and not a big name. And it's kind of those late offers we're throwing out there right before the signing period. But I was like, dude, this guy is like legit. Why have I not heard more about him? Um, runs a four-five, uh, about thirty-six inch vertical. Uh, so maybe not as a ex- uh, very good speed, maybe not as explosive as a guy like Keely Ringo or Kimber, but a really good athlete. And he brings a lot of versatility to the table. One thing that stands out to me is his ability uh, as a as a uh, run stop- stopper. I think he's a really good candidate for the star position. I think he blitzes very, very well. He's very effective in that role. He plays the run very well, very strong, very aggressive, strong tackler, all those kind of things. Covers well as well. Um, but I think he could be, a, in my opinion, could be a candidate as a star, maybe a safety more so than a, than an outside cornerback. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna go with you as well. I think it's not that over, undervalued, but I do think he's little undervalued. So I'm gonna go, bring just a little bit too low there. All right, couple guys on the defensive line. We got Warren Brinson out of IMG Academy, six foot four and a half, 290 pounds, coming at number 308 Nash in the 247 composite. Too high, too low, just right. Where you see Mr. Brinson, Kurt? Um, maybe a little
0: high for him. I think that yeah. while he's a good player, I still think that he's got he's a little ways off before he's going to make an impact to Georgia.
1: I don't. Yeah, I don't see him being a year one impact type guy. I'll agree with you there. I'm going to go. Hmm, okay, too high. Uh, I th- I'm going to go just right. I'm gonna go just on him. I think that's about right for him. I think he's a he's a borderline four-star prospect. I think he's a guy that can grow into uh, being a good player for us. He's he does play uh with, with good leverage, good solid technique you can see he's coached up pretty well img. He's got a really good first step, not not nearly as explosive as Jalen Card, but a good first step for a guy his size. I think he's got some tools that we can work with and develop. I think you're right on if He's an immediate impact type guy. He's a guy that we'll have to develop over time. But I do see him developing into a really good player for us and a, and a potential starter down the road. So I'm, I'm going to go just right on that. Uh, another defensive lineman here, Nazir Stackhouse. Now, here's one of the in-state guys. Six foot three and a half, three hundred six 306 pounds, coming at number two, four. I'm sorry, number 247
0: overall in the 247 composite. What do you think, Kurt? Um, I think that's actually very fair for him. Um, I think that... Based on his skill set and everything, I think he is – That's where I think that's where he belongs. Um, I think the guy can grow into being a good player. Um, but from what he accomplished and where he's at right now, I think that role fits him.
1: Okay, fair. I'm actually – I think Warren Brinson's a better prospect of just watching the two on tape, my my opinion, without seeing either one of the guys up close and personal, in person. But watching the tape, I like Brinson – I like his tape a little bit more. So if Br- if I think Brinson's just right at 308, I can't sit here and say that Stackhouse is – too low or just right, so I'm going to say he's a little too high for me, not much, Um, I would put him just a little bit behind Brinson, but right around the same range, which is slightly too high for me, good player, uh, very similar to Brinson in a lot of regards, I don't think he's a media impact type guy right now, Um, I don't know if he's quite as polished as Brinson at that position, but is a big body uh, moves well, all those things are true can grow into a good player. I just don't know if he's ready right away. And I, I would put Brinson just slightly ahead of him. I think things a little more polished, a little more game ready right now. If he had to be pressing the duty. All right. And finally here, last prospect before we wrap things up today. Uh, the, the most recent commitment of the defensive bunch here is Darren branch at Louisiana flipped him from Ole miss late in the prospect. I'm sure Matt Luke obviously played a role in that as well. Uh, again, fits the mold of what we're going for with longer DBs, a little taller, longer, 6'2", 178 pounds, coming at number 671
0: nationally. So, Kurt, too high, too low, just right. What do you think? Uh, I'd probably say too low. I think this guy is actually going to be one of the steals of the class, especially on this late signing day. You stole my thunder, man. I totally agree. Uh, And and this is the, like, being
1: 671, he might not be a top 100 prospect. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's a top 100 or anything like that, but – He's no, he's, he's definitely not. better than six number 671. Actually,
0: that's crazy, yeah, 100. percent.
1: Yeah, I mean, here's another guy I didn't know much about him until the past you know, couple weeks here. And you hear his name from the surface a little bit as a possibility. So you pull up his tape and watch, and you're like, What 671? What, what, are, did anyone actually watch this guy play? And you just throw the random ranking like, I, I literally asked those questions, like, Did anyone watch this guy play? Because if you just look at him, just look at his body, his physical profile. He's better than the number six hundred seventy-one player in the country. He just he is. He's he's got really good size and he moves well in that frame. And it's, it's I know it only says about one hundred eighty pounds, but he looks a little bit thicker than that. To be honest with you, um, he'll stick his nose in there. He's not afraid to tackle. Uh, he's another guy I think be a, a can play star or cornerback or, or or safety potentially cornerback as well. I think he fits better at star. Or, or safety but man no i love his frame i love the body i love the athleticism i love his ability to, to get after the passer as well kind of like major burns i see him and major burns as similar prospects to be honest with you um now he's not quite as uh explosive and not quite maybe not quite as fast as clocked at, at a nike opening regional at, at a right at a low four six um but uh, he looks like he moves a little bit a little bit better than on tape but you know still good solid speed for a guy that size so again not a top 100 top 150 type guy i'm not saying that but like He's definitely better than the number 671 player in the country. So excited we got him. I think he's going to, like you said, I think he could potentially end up being one of those underrated prospects, one of those steals of the class. He certainly has that, that capability. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We really appreciate you taking time to listen to us here, uh, go over all things recruiting. We will be back early next week with part two of the signing day recap. We're going to be talking about the offensive side of the ball, focusing on those 17 prospects. That we did not talk about in depth, that do play, that are at least scheduled and slated to play offense here at the University of Georgia. But thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend, for Curtis. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.